You're listening to The Fix with Ryan Rothstein, live from the PropSwap studios of AM 1490 Sports Betting Radio. Prop swap that ticket and cash in while the odds have improved. Once again, here's Ryan. All right, it's 1030, so it's time for your football fix with NFL Eagles insider John McMullen. Be sure to follow John on Twitter at JFMcMullen. He does excellent work for phillyvoice.com and Sports Illustrated at si.com, and you can also listen to John every Saturday morning right here on AM 1490 Sports Betting Radio, extending the play 10 a.m., to 11 a.m. So let's bring John into the conversation now and talk more of everyone's favorite topic, the lovely Philadelphia Eagles. John, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Just uh, enjoying another episode of the soap opera that is the Eagles today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's never-ending. You know, we're just like... We're all like the housewives, uh, you know, or or men. If you're a stay-at-home father at home watching the uh, afternoon soap operas, and it's it's never ending. It, it is never ending, John. Um, this is the direction I want to go with you tonight, and we've talked about this before, and we touched on last night a little bit about the draft and how the Eagles have gone about developing players and and et cetera, et cetera, with the growing noise and complaining fair or foul, about the Eagles. Doug Peterson now getting louder. Howie Roseman has been getting louder, and it's never really been quiet. Even Jeffrey Lurie complaints and organizational complaints as a whole. And I started off the show with pointing to last year where Doug Peterson gets up at the podium and he says, Mike Groh, I'm paraphrasing, Mike Groh's job, 100% safe. Um, next day, fired. Uh, and you and I have talked a lot about this, but is the structural integrity um, flawed? Like, is the chain of command and the hierarchy and how they do things behind closed doors, is it flawed? Yeah, I I think it's flawed. I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, But it depends on your definition of flawed, I guess. I mean, it's Jeffrey Lurie's team. Jeffrey Lurie can do what he wants what I wrote on phillyboys.com today. That's the obvious part. Um, the not as obvious part is he shouldn't do whatever he wants because he should be um, smart enough to understand. He's been doing this for over a quarter century, uh, smart enough to know what he doesn't know, and what he doesn't know is football. Um, <laughs> and that's not an insult. I mean, there aren't owners, uh, many owners in this league probably got to go back to Al Davis, who had a firm understanding uh, of actual methods of building a football team and scheme and X's and O's and how things go on in the locker room. And there's a long history of meddlesome owners in sports, not just the NFL, um, but all across sports, and it generally doesn't work out well. I, I mean, it's just the reality. And while Jeffrey does it in a more understated fashion than, say, a George Steinbrenner, he's been meddling a lot over the last two years, and that's not a good thing. It's never a good thing. Now, why is that? Is it just because Because I, I, just, I grew up on Andy Reid uh, in that era, and 
I guess it's just as simple as he never had to meddle, right? And now he feels like it's so frustrating and he knows how the city, um, you know, just talks and it's loud in Philadelphia. It's one of the toughest places to play and, and be a part of a sports team. So is it just that simple that because of the struggles and the noise in the city, he feels like, well, I'm going to step in. I just can't sit by and, and let this happen. Yeah, I think it is that simple. I, I really do. I talk about social media all the time. It's a it's a hellscape. It, it, it it's there's a lot of bad and very little good. And one one of the major bad for uh, companies and uh, you know I, I companies as a whole, not just sports, but even more so in sports because it's so um, public facing. The industry as a whole. I mean, they they. The Eagles are like everybody else, and they see something on Twitter or they hear something on talk radio, uh, and they just blow it out of proportion to the, oh, this might, <laughs> this might, it must relate to uh, all of our fans. You know, a couple of, of loud mouths on, on, on social media, and it's just not true. Uh, and, and the overreaction to it is real. And it's it's dumb, to be honest. And, yeah, I think that's a big part of it uh, from Jeffrey's perspective. And, you know, he, uh, again, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> You're getting all choked up. I don't blame you. <clears throat> I got choked um, <clears throat> While John, while John um, you know, gets gets right here. I um I think that Doug is growing tired of this, John, and and I know we've talked about this. Sorry and, about that, Ryan. No, it's fine, John. <laughs> I, um, I I was going I was going uh, I was getting too fired up. I know you were. Uh, Look, we've been doing this for a long time. That's the first time that's ever happened. So yeah, um, well, that's never never drink something on air and then it goes down the wrong pipe and then you. Lose it for a second. So I've been there. Uh, that's a rookie mistake. But it is. Okay. Uh, I apologize for that. And and I, I think what I was saying about Jeffrey Lurie is, you know, again, he's the owner of the team, and you you have to be you have to set an example. You have to be the leader. <laughs> I mean, so what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean don't show up to Cleveland because you're upset. Uh, on why the team is playing, on how the team is playing, it it means don't leave the practice field uh, if you're upset about something. Look at Jerry Jones. I mean, people in in this city hate Jerry Jones, obviously, because he's the owner of the Cowboys. He's uh, a big loudmouth, and he's uh, the big personality. And you know, he was here when Ben DiNucci was stinking up the joint for his team. That was pretty stinking embarrassing. You don't see him not showing up. In fact, he, he does the exact opposite. He does his own radio show, constantly talks about it. At least he's showing leadership. Well, and he's consistent. Whether, yeah, what was that? Sorry to cut you off, but I just said, and he's consistent. Sure. You know, like, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I think I, it's huge. I think that's a really big part of it. And so that's I'm so happy you you brought up Jerry Jones because I was that's where I was going next. I was going to say 
I'm a little bit fearful that, you know, if Jeffrey Lurie is trying to do the iron fist and I'm the boss and I'm worried and I need to step in and let's just play worst case scenario for a second, Doug parts ways with the team, vice versa, however it it would work out. Is Jeffrey Lurie going to turn into a Jerry Jones like I want a yes man or I want a certain type of guy that I can like control? Is he going to get paranoid now? Like I just don't like the perception, um, and I think there's some reality to it. Yeah, I don't I don't like the way it's going. I, I you know really, and I talked about it a lot when you mentioned Mike Crow at the beginning. I mean, Doug Peterson wanted to keep Mike Crow as is offensive coordinator again not the most popular thing a lot of people on twitter wanted mike Rowe gone so what so what i i mean who if, cares if you're jeffrey Lurie and you sit back and you're honest with yourself really really honest with yourself and you say well mike Rowe can't be the offensive coordinator of this team but you know, I can bring in Rich Scandrella. You don't know the difference. You don't know the difference, except you do know your head coach wants Mike Rowe. Your head coach that won a, a Super Bowl championship less than 36 months ago, and at the time you fired Mike Rowe, you know, you're two years off it. I mean, where's the deference? And forget about the deference. Where's the common sense? Where's the common sense? Say, okay, this guy won a Super Bowl, so I'm going to let him have the coaches he wants. Is that is that a strange thing to say? No, it would be you know it would be strange if like Doug should have the keys to the car, so to speak, if he wants it. You know, and I know you've mentioned I don't know if he wants it, but I think he does now, and I know you've touched on that and. Now, we're talking with John McMullen, and John, I I went this route because I'm so sick of the Carson Wentz talk. I'm so sick of the blame game or should we fire Doug, John? Like, I want to go bigger here because I think at this point, this team, and more importantly, the organization is concerning me. So I want to try and get to the bottom of what the heck is really wrong with it and how much worse it can get and, you know, what the future is going to hold. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it can get much worse, and I think it will get much worse if he makes if Jeffrey makes bad decisions and, and fires the head coach. Uh, I think it's going to get a lot worse. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I go back to the fact that, you know, he's been here for over 25 years now. He understands or he should understand that this industry is cyclical. You're going to have up years. You're going to have down years. Uh, but he, he's also, and you mentioned Andy Reid. You grew up on Andy Reid. Okay, did he not learn anything from what went on there? Between Andy Reid, you had this incredible stability. You had the best offensive coach of this generation. You have a slam-dunk Hall of Famer for almost 15 years in this city. And, and by the way, it was over. Randy in Philadelphia. I'm not trying to say they should have kept him because everybody's got a shelf life, even even great coaches like that. But what he should have done is what he ultimately did after the Chip Kelly mistake, and that's move forward 
similar pass uh, with a different voice, which he ultimately did with, with Doug, who was obviously an Andy guy. And it worked. Um, you would think he would have learned from that. But, you know, this team is weird. This organization, excuse me, is weird. Uh, and it comes from the top. It comes from Jeffrey Lurie. They have this obsession, obsession with being labeled as innovative. Um, and that's why they hired Chip Kelly. And, I, I, and again, I mean, I, I, I always joke, you know, Chip Kelly is the, the, the guy with the S8 on his play card. And, you know, Doug is the guy with the 300-page playbook. And Jeffrey thinks Chip was the innovative one. I, I, I mean, you know, he, he buys bells and whistles. He buys con man. He buys snake oil. Yeah, it's a it's a and, problem. And, and he's doing it and he's doing it again because you're gonna hear names like Lincoln Riley if he fires that. And it's gonna be an abject disaster. I'm predicting it right now. It's an, it's gonna be an abject disaster. He's like the, the grandfather and I don't even know how many of them are out there that would exist with this, but he's like a grandfather that's saying I'm, I'm technologically savvy and he's trying to order his groceries, groceries off an app. And it's like, dude, you know, you're, you're great in the grocery store. You don't have to try and do it off the app, man. Like it's, you know, I don't know what they're trying to prove. Yeah. But, and, and that's the ironic thing because I'm not saying he, he's out of touch or anything like that. I, I get where you're going with that. It, it's more of, as I said, he wants to stay ahead of the curve. He wants to be the innovative guy. He wants to be the guy who comes up with the next thing. And that's where you hear this, you know, nonsense in the offseason about, well, two quarterbacks on the field at one time. That's the future of football. Well, guess what? It ain't the future of football on December and Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers. Because if you try to roll that nonsense out, you're going to get beat by 40 points. I, that and that's where the Eagles are, are kind of lost. And you go back to this draft. I, I think there's a perfect example of it. And, and and I was thinking about the draft, Ryan. And I'm thinking, you know, this was a virtual draft, like everything else in this disaster of a year. It, it, it was a virtual draft. And what did that mean? That meant the football people, the Andy Wiles of the world, and all the scouts. We're in different rooms and on Zoom with Howie. And, you know, they're all telling them to take Justin Jefferson, and he's taking Jalen Rager. They're all telling them to take Jeremy Chin, and we could use a playmaking safety. Oh, no, I want to go two quarterbacks. And he's taking Jalen Hurts. Uh, we could use a contributor, a linebacker, Howie. Uh, I'm going to take the guy who might be a superstar three years down the line or might be out of the league, and there's probably not going to be um, any in between. I, I, I mean, they, they, they went so drastically from college production because it didn't work out with J.J., uh, didn't work out with Danelle Pumphrey, players like that, and then they go just complete 180 to measurables. And this guy's got a great spark score. And, and Rager looks 
more explosive on tape than Jefferson. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it, it's rare, and it's not hindsight when you say it the day of the draft. So I, I, I feel I can say this. You know, you're playing at LSU. You, you're playing against the highest level of competition in college football, and you're dominating. And you're doing it against the best teams. You're having your best games against the best teams. And you're a, you, you on tape, you look like a plug-and-play guy. You can run routes. Nobody can run routes coming out of college anymore. This kid can run routes. Just take the pick. I, I, it, 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 it's, the owner and the general manager are killing this football team killing it it's comparable to just listening to you describe it it's comparable to for me colangelo trading up to take Fultz from three to one like dude you're just trying to like make it look like you're doing something because to make it look like you know something and you're actually being an idiot like keep it simple yeah i mean i i, I even think it's worse than that i'll tell you why because you know yeah, Markel Fultz was an abject disaster. We can all agree on that, or we all should be able to agree on that. But it, it's not like if the Sixers would have stayed at three or even uh, went to one and took Tatum or, you know, Fultz was going two or three. You know, everybody in the NBA thought he could play, and, and there are, you know, mental issues going on there that those are the things you can't really compute you know, I, I think a better comparison for him would be Ryan Leaf back in the day. I mean, Ryan Leaf had everything to succeed, except mental toughness. I, I, you know, but how do you how do you grade that? That's really difficult to grade. From an athletic standpoint, he had everything to be a great quarterback, uh, and, and he just wasn't because he didn't have the other side of it. And uh, that can always open. If you're a first round pick in the NFL, I always say this. You're not going to fail because of athleticism. You're not going to fail because you're not good enough from from a measurable standpoint. You're going to fail because of the other things, because you, you, you don't work hard. You, you might not have a, a high football IQ, and you don't work at it, and, and you don't try to get better. Uh, you don't get along with people. You're not accepting of coaching. It's an outlier thing. Because everybody who's at that level, including a, a Jalen Rager, athletically is off the charts. It's just a matter of how off the charts you are. Um, so I, 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 you know, it's never, it's never that. But you know, I, I don't know if people saw it because you know teams tend to, uh, you know, after Jefferson was had one of his big games. I, I don't know what it was. The, he he put up the video of the Minnesota War Room, their general manager, Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, uh, everybody else who was on there, on, on the clock at, at, while, while Philadelphia was on the clock at 21. And they were talking about trading down to get a corner. Because they just assumed the Eagles were taking Jefferson. They're, they're like, it's over. Right. We're going to get one of these corners. We're going to move back. It's Spielman's telling Zimmer. And the Eagles took Rager. And they, they just went nuts. 
I, I mean, it, it's, and I heard, I think it was, you know, Ray Dinger, and I, I don't know if it's this bad, but he said the Eagles could have got Rager in the second round. That's how bad it was. He wasn't going in the first round. The Eagles tried to spin that. I don't think he was going in the first round. I don't necessarily think they could have got him in the second round. But he wasn't going in the first round if the Eagles didn't take him. I'm very comfortable in saying that. And he also said they could have gotten Hurts in the third round. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, Whose decision so was I, it, John? I, Sorry to cut you off again. Whose decision decision was it to get Jalen Rager? Howie Roseman. Okay. In fact, you know, the, the, the scouting people uh, wanted Jefferson. And Howie's looking for a particular type of player. Uh, and I've explained this before, more of a, uh, a Tyree Kill type. You can run on jet sweeps and uh, do some of the horizontal stuff. And he wanted that type of player. Uh, for the offense. He was looking for a toy. You know, get get the important stuff before you worry about the toys. Yeah, it's like getting a, um, you know, a second car, a a red convertible Corvette before you have, um, you know, before you own a house or something. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's like people have kids, you know, the first time, and generally you have whatever kind of car the, the father likes, and it's usually a sports car, maybe a truck, and they got to come to the realization, you know what, you need a minivan. <laughs> the kid ain't going to fit in a Corvette. The kid's not going to fit in a, a Bronco. Uh, so you got to be realistic. You got to be uh, – you, you have to be responsible. And everybody kind of goes through that. And the Eagles were irresponsible in, in, in this draft, and they have been for a while. You know, everybody misses. Um, but, you know, and, and and Metcalf's a perfect example because I never blame them for Metcalf. To me, it's two different conversations. Yeah, I agree. It really is. Yep. Because, because uh, you know, everybody uh, – was on Jefferson at that point. And as I said, you know, even Minnesota was trading back for a corner uh, because they weren't going to get him. Uh, it was an obvious pick. Um, whereas if you look at Metcalf and where he went in the draft, you know, everybody passed him over almost twice. Uh, he wasn't a home run pick. There were a lot of issues with him, and people were wrong, you know, but there were scouts who said, okay, you know, this guy's got tremendous straight line speed, but he, his change of direction is, is really, really weak. And generally, that it does not bold, bode well for receivers. So, I mean, that was the thought process of the people who didn't like him. And it was more than one guy. There were a lot of scouts who felt that way. Um, and ultimately, they're wrong. So, I, I, don't, I don't blame the Eagles for that. I, I blame them for this year's draft and and really those first three picks are just awful picks and hopefully they turn out and that's not I say this all the time 
it's not an indictment of the players. You know, Jalen Hurts might turn out to be a great quarterback someday. But I, I, I've given you so many reasons why that was a bad pick. Ultimately, and the biggest one is because you want Carson Wentz to succeed. So, in theory, you never want this guy to play. Right. Unless you really are thinking about a two-quarterback offense, which is stupid. It's like, just to add to it real quick, and we only have about four or five minutes, and I want to ask another question or two if I can squeeze it in, but... Like, both can be true, once again. Like, you can miss on a pick. Like, I always look at the draft as a crapshoot. Like, when it comes the time of the year where we're diving into um, draft prospects and mock drafts and, you know, on previous stations and in my past, I'm like, I just take a big, deep breath out. And I always have said, John, like, it's a crapshoot. Like, we're, what are we doing here? Like, we have to do it, but it's a crapshoot. But it doesn't mean that the organization's strategy or approach isn't flawed you know like they shouldn't have gone that direction but that's different from oh you didn't take dk metcalf yeah it's very different and that's why i always say it's you know you're going to miss on picks you're right and because and it's usually about things you can't measure and those intangible things and people hate that because if you can't measure something um (laughs) that's why it's not uh, in exact science, and that's why. And everybody, you, everybody misses in this league. Everybody, and they do it a lot. Um, but if you hit, and and your percentage is is greater than other teams, that's how you sort of view this thing. And you know, I'm sure the Eagles are hoping that Davion Taylor develops well, and maybe he does. <clears throat> but short term, I think it's fair to say um, it looks bad, and um, particularly the the Hertz pick didn't make sense, and the Rager pick didn't make sense. Um, they needed a linebacker, so you can say the Taylor pick made some sense. But if you look at some of the people that were there, they were more ready to play, uh, and that's that's the issue because. You need a linebacker right now as well as three, four years down the line. So I, it was just a very strange draft. And I think it was – I probably got off on a tangent, and I apologize to you. But, you know, I look at this owner and I look at this GM, and they're the problems. The coach is not the problem. Yeah, no, and you didn't get off on a tangent. It's exactly the direction that I wanted this to go. Uh, one more here for you, John. What what needs to change um, and or what what will change realistically in the offseason? It's a good question. I, I don't know. We all have to wait and see what Jeffrey Lurie does. We all have to wait and see if he wakes up and, you know, maybe starts reading these things. I know I wrote about him today. I know he's going to read that. I know uh, I forget somebody else. Uh, I think Rob Motti wrote about him today. So more of this is starting to happen. And, you know, people are, are looking at things at least to cover this team similar to, to me and the fact that we're saying, okay, I, you know, you're the owner. Well, just as I said, you're the owner of this football team and you're not showing up to a road game because you don't like how the team is playing. 
again, leadership. Where is the leadership? You're walking off the practice field, and and you're talking about developing a culture. You're talking about new normals. I, I mean, it starts at the top. It starts at the top, and you know maybe if that fuel gets added to Twitter, maybe I'll start to notice. We'll see. Uh, it's going to be an interesting final stretch of the regular season for the Philadelphia Eagles and the entire organization. John will have it covered uh, the every step of the way. Follow John on Twitter at jfmcmullen, phillyvoice.com. Go check out his latest there. Sports Illustrated at si.com. Go check out the latest there, and be sure to tune in to Extending the Play every Saturday from 10 a.m., to 11 a.m. John and I will do a full preview, including John's prediction to the game Eagles-Packers on Sunday. John, I appreciate it, my friend. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Sorry I lost it for a second there. <laughs> you got all choked up. It's a it's a heavy topic. I all choked up. <laughs> all right, man. All right, thanks, bud. Later. Uh, there he is, John McMullen.